does not play hide and seek we play that with truth this is why truth vanishes in a blink only to appear the next moment or never again in this episode i shall talk about a strange vanishing act of history of the indian subcontinent if you like my podcast follow me and do not forget to press the bell icon in my previous episode i spoke about the choice of lion as the emblem of his empire by emperor ashoka and we could see that the choice of lion could be influenced either by veda or by the tradition of the erstwhile achaemenid empire but there is more into it now let us look for lion images in achaemenid or assyrian empire in google you will get countless hits and then look for the image of the ashoka pillar it is everywhere in our country very easy to find compare the images the ashoka pillar resonates with an acute resemblance in style with the achaemenid or assyrian or babylonian images isn't so this very lion capital is the emblem of modern india too even if the idea of using a lion as the emblem might have been of hindu root the style of this sculpture definitely did not originate in the hindu world but was an import from the west to be precise possibly from the persian world no no not islamic tradition because muhammad was born 700 years later we are talking about 3rd century bc by the way who made the sculpture anyway it was an amazing piece of art in the end the answer is we do not know indian art scenario had been different from that of the west in india most of such artistic marvels were done by craftsmen or artists of varied faith the idea and the forms were directed by the patron all the time but the creators just executed it the faith belief or idea of the sculptor did not reflect on the artworks but yes style of course could not be hidden it was definitely the signature of the sculptor but the names rarely showed anywhere until british appeared in the horizon on the other hand the western approach at a later date was more artist oriented the central purpose might have been given by the patron but the artist employed his own faith and thoughts in making the art piece and the artist signed off or let us say it did not occur to the patron that the artist's name was to be kept hidden in the end let us not look at it with a disapproving eye in today's context when you are using an iphone or even an android handset Do you know who designed the shape or who worked on the magical software? Nah, we do not ask that. Neither anybody tells us the name of the designer or the software engineer. We at most say that the iPhone was the baby of Steve Jobs or the Android phone was designed by Samsung or Redmi or something like that. And we don't mind that. <laughs> However, we are not yet through with the Ashoka pillar. there had been a strange aspect about the same ashoka and his pillar were subjected to a conspicuous vanishing act for a thousand years or more emperor ashoka was the grandson of chandragupta maurya 
ऑफकोर्स चंद्रगुप्त मौर्या कुड नॉट बी मेड टू डिसअपियर ड्यू टू हिज एग्जिस्टेंस इन ग्रीक लिटरेचर एंड मोर ओवर चंद्रगुप्त वॉज नॉट पर्टिकुलरली ए पेट्रॉन ऑफ बुद्धिज्म हाउ कुड ही बी एनी वे हिज मेंटोर वॉज द ग्रेट ब्राह्मिंग चाणक्य The Greeks could not chronicle their stories by omitting Chandragupta Maurya. He was the most dramatic diplomat and warrior and finally the emperor. They called him Sisikottas, Sandrokottas as well as Sandrokoptas from time to time depending on who was writing the history. Hence Chandragupta Maurya remained in history. To top it all the greeks never forgot to mention the story of alexander's benevolence after defeating the great king porus you see it is hard to digest that the great warrior like alexander went back after such a resounding victory against the mighty king like porus on the other hand there is absolutely no mention of either the war or the king in question in any indian record it is a mystery anyway The Greeks seem to record something that uh, as if did not exist in Indian version of reality. We do not know if the entire story is a fiction, but the point is the Greeks did not omit even Porus who is missing all over the records of Indian sources. How could they miss the legend Chandragupta Maurya? So Chandragupta Maurya did exist in history. Well when I cast doubt on the Porus defeat of Alexander I am not being one of those propaganda channels or blogs some people are so intoxicated with patriotism these days that they end up making absurd claims in favor of the indian roots of totally unrelated things for instance some time ago i stumbled onto a claim in the internet that the name of julius caesar originated from kesari the lion in sanskrit maybe may not be but such unfounded claims with conviction is madness however in the end chandragupta maurya remained with a resounding greatness in our history but it was different for ashoka after supposedly the bloodbath of kalinga ashoka turned into a devout buddhist and eventually declared buddhism as the state religion this was a great assault on the ancient tradition of hinduism Soon after the death of the emperor Hindu machinery ensured that a pin drop silence would be employed upon whatever this Buddhist emperor did everything about Ashoka was omitted from the records produced thereafter except the mere mention of the third king in the lineage of the Mauryans in Purana it was effective because the greek influence faded during the days of Ashoka there was no foreign historian to record his existence and the religion he believed in it was left up to the brahmins who despised the fact that buddhism was made the state religion i feel it may be important to talk a little about how religious dynamics played through centuries in indian subcontinent early veda was mostly about yagna to gain some favor from the divine powers people used to sacrifice some dear objects in the fire in the beginning they were hunter gatherers people moved from place to place looking for fruits animals and temporary shelters in caves and so on nobody owned anything according to the historians even the kids born in the wandering groups belonged to the group they were 
the children of the community but not of any particular parents yagya suited well it could be carried out anywhere following the directive of the brahmins but the most significant turning point in the history of human civilization happened when the magic of growing crops were discovered agricultural society began to take shape rice or banana could not grow overnight hence one had to stick to a particular stretch of land for many months or an entire season the wandering around had to stop sedentary life began to set in someone who produced rice could not live out of rice alone hence he had to exchange his excess rice with a neighbor who might have produced some other crops trading was born this led to sense of ownership and hence fear of losing there was reason to steal and desire to own what someone else owned jealousy anger greed made their headway into human mind to keep such complexity in check rules were necessary to keep the coexistence in balance village town and then the ruler were needed now king and kingdom happened and finally there were rich and poor weak and powerful handful of rich and powerful decided the fate of a large population of poor and powerless this development was played by the brahmins to their advantage vedic rituals around yagna evolved more and more complex and expensive as well as time consuming yagnas became unfavorable for the commoners In the urban life most people could not afford to stop working for a long time they had to work regularly for a living hence not only the expense involved but the time required to perform a massive yagna made it the prerogative of only the rich and the powerful the common folks of society were at loss they could not find a solution to their problems of life in any case The yagna rituals mostly meant to be a barter system between the divine and the mortals on the earth. Man sacrificed something to the god in the hope of getting a desired return. Someone might need to carry out a yagna to get a child for instance, but if the incumbent did not have enough resources to execute the elaborate and expensive yagna, how could he hope to have a child? hence began the search for an alternate solution avoiding the involvement of the brahmans and their rule book at this point two things happened upanishad evolved upanishad offered a world view that did not involve the rituals but there were two challenges with upanishad its profoundly deep message could be grasped only by a handful of individuals and then the other factor was its language it was sanskrit The general population did not know much Sanskrit. Sanskrit was reduced to the medium of holy scriptures and hence the language of the hymns, not for colloquial use. Therefore, despite offering a knowledge-driven path without rituals and hence brahmins for salvation from the miseries of life, Upanishad remained off-limit for people. At that point entered Buddha and Mahavira. Buddha's simple guidelines for living a good life captured the fancy rather quickly. The language of preaching was Pali, the colloquial language of public. Caste 
was not a factor in Buddha's community. In fact, Buddha did not demean the Brahmins, but he changed the definition of Brahmin itself. One who spoke the truth fearlessly was the Brahmin as per him, not genes or family history. Looking at it from the perspective of marketing, I shall say that this was an ideal game-changing combination destined to shake the stronghold of Hinduism. And it did. Soon people began to convert to Buddhism en masse. Powerful kings like Ashoka converted to Buddhism and declared Buddhism to be the state religion of his empire. Greek kings too, who remained in India after Alexander was gone, converted to Buddhism. Hence, Hinduism and Brahmins were subjected to serious threat of extinction. There had to be a way to save the great religion from vanishing. And eventually, a way emerged. Indeed, a master stroke to counter the popular appeal of Buddhism. The primary challenge of Vedic way was twofold, Brahmins and elaborate rituals. The new way offered a personal god for each household, like a house physician. And such gods came in the package of recognizable shape and form so that one could easily contemplate when required. Worshipping such gods in the form of idols did not need the intervention of a Brahmin. The methods of worship were simplified versions of the erstwhile yagna rituals. This made it extremely easy for the poor as well as the rich to seek divine favor. And this resulted in building of temples too. A place for worship and abode of the divine figure dedicated to a small community or locality. Temples served another purpose. Idol worship diluted the role of Brahmins as middlemen between God and people. But temples offered a slice of prospect of earning for the Brahmin. The deity in the temple could not be taken care of by public who were not bound to visit daily at assigned time slots. Someone had to take care of the deity at the temple at all times. Brahmin got the job and was renamed as Pujari. The whole system suited the spirit of the populace perfectly. Easy, less expensive and not elaborate. Ironically, at some point, the number of personalized deities was uh, 33,000. But over the centuries, the number swelled manifold and ended up in 33 crore, which means 330 million. This means on an average, there are about three deities protecting one Hindu in the world. <laughs> uh, well, this mind-boggling expansion happened because every time some non-Hindu tribe turned powerful and refused to part with their traditions and deities, Hinduism absorbed the deities of the tribe or the community as its own, declaring the new members in the pantheon as some aspect of the god Vishnu or the likes. Naturally, as an after-effect, Buddhism came under pressure and submitted to the idea of idolatry, even if Buddha preached the opposite. Mahayana Buddhism spun off from the Theravada Buddhism, which was the original version. Mahayana Buddhism advocated idolatry. But despite starting the worship of Bodhisattvas, 
there was no way buddhists could have had come up with a personalized deity for each household it would have destroyed the very essence of buddhism in totality so eventually buddhism began to fade from the indian subcontinent finally one of the most profound developments happened during 7th century even if it evolved out of idolatry yet it was as sincere selfless and deep as upanishad or buddhism it was bhakti pure devotion and submission to a deity such unquestionable dedication and faith released the individual from all kinds of suffering of the mind one could go on holiday in the mind yet carry on doing the daily chores after all the results were no longer in the purview of the individual bhakti movement was the final lethal blow to buddhism in indian subcontinent on the other hand the record keepers of indian history were the brahmins and the buddhists now the brahmins chose to be silent about any buddhist development even the kings who advocated buddhism in a big way were omitted from their records hence ashoka vanished one day as if he never existed well the buddhists might have noted of course but where are those records then yes there remained a large body of buddhist literature at the university of nalanda the center of learning in the entire asia the library of nalanda was visited by students across asia but then in the year 1193 200 horsemen rushed in led by a khilji slave muhammad bakhtiyar and burned every manuscript in the library of nalanda when they realized that there was not a single copy of quran in the library the collection of books was massive and it took months for them to burn all of it during this period balls of smoke hung over the low hills like black clouds the jihadists thought they were destroying hindu scriptures but in reality it was largely buddhist texts and records hence whatever trace of the existence of buddhism in india remained until then was obliterated by the savage army of muhammad bakhtiyar first the hindus and then the muslim jihadists finished off the erasing of history but well the past cannot be undone we may forget it we may choose not to look back but it stays with interminable patience to be discovered by some searching eye some day that is exactly what happened a young man named john marshall came to india as an employee of east india company and encountered several mysterious stone columns rooted to the ground in and around north india the locals told him that the massive columns with the inscriptions all over the surface were the walking stick of bhim one of the pandava brothers of mahabharata the inscriptions could not be read it was not sanskrit it was something else john marshall tried to decipher the meanings but could not make much headway an untimely death blocked his way but he was the first orientalist in the history of india who raised the question about the massive columns i looked for john marshall in google but the hits returned some chief justice to american statesman but not this great individual to whom indians must be indebted deeply 
The hunt for the root of those walking sticks of bheem went on for more than one and half century. Finally, it was discovered that it was not bheem's implements but was originally Ashoka's rock edicts. Yes, Emperor Ashoka was the first one to do <laughs> monkey bath. In the rock edicts spread across his empire, he addressed the subjects in first person while conveying his message. Hence, it took more than 1000 years for Ashoka and his emblem to reincarnate in the history of Indian subcontinent. The vanishing act was indeed potent. You may wonder why I am talking about history instead of art in such great detail. Curiously, development of painting in India had been entangled with its religious spirit from time to time. We cannot separate one from the other. To understand why a certain turning point appeared in the Indian art scene, one must understand the turning points of religion. In the following episode, I shall talk about the peculiar change that happened in the Indian style of art during the period we are discussing about. Until then, stay tuned.